Father, great is your faithfulness. Everyone in this room is beyond grateful that we did not exhaust your mercies yesterday. That we haven't sinned so much that you turn to us and say, that's all I have. That's all the mercy I have. No, we wake up this morning and you meet us with new mercies. Brand new mercies for the day. And you will be sufficient to provide for what we need today. And so I pray that you would provide mercy as your word goes forth right now. As we open your word, I pray that you would speak in ways that I can't. I pray that your spirit would open hearts. I pray that your spirit would comfort. I pray that your spirit would convict. I pray that your spirit would give us exactly what we need, even and especially if it's not what we want. I pray that your gospel would be abundantly clear, that we would see Jesus in his greatness, that we would marvel at your great compassion and comfort and care and faithfulness to sinners like us. May we marvel at your greatness and your goodness this morning as we open the scriptures together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I would invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. Uh, You know, as we were kind of planning this, uh, the month of May sermon series, typically in May, it's it's usually standalone sermons because you just just have a lot of stuff going on. You have graduation, you have Mother's Day, uh, people in and out. So, you know, usually have finished a book, you know, if you've been walking through a book by by this time. So it's usually a good time to have standalone sermons. Uh, We knew that no matter matter what happened, uh, the month of May for us would be an interesting... and, and possibly confusing and frustrating for at least some time in the life of our church. And so, you know, just initial thought we had was even before we jump into a new book, possibly in, in the summer, uh, it, it, it could be that we could get lost in the weeds of everything that's happening in the life of the church. You, you get lost in the details. Not that the details don't matter. Not, not, that, not that what's happening doesn't matter, but it's easy for us to get, to get lost in it. And so uh, as we gather together, we, we thought, what if we just emphasize, I don't know if you've noticed it the last two weeks, but what if we just emphasized another attribute of God? Just an attribute of God. So two weeks ago, I preached on the love of God and, and how that compels us to love one another. And last week, Kevin preached on the, the wisdom of God. Um, this week... Uh, we had planned to preach on the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Um, 
as I was studying this week, I, I um, was planning on preaching from Lamentations 3, and we're going to get to Lamentations 3, but uh, Erica actually shared Isaiah 49 with me, which is a, it's a servant song. It's, it's a servant song. And yet there's this, this little passage here in verses 13 through 16 of, of Isaiah 49 that do detail the faithfulness of God, but it's really a discussion about the compassion of God, the comfort of God, the care of God. So I want us to think about that this morning. I want us to set our eyes on the God who cares for us. Set our eyes on the God who looks at broken, fallen, repeatedly sinful, rebellious people and has compassion. Compassion. A God of infinite righteousness and holiness who has every right to pour out nothing but his wrath chooses in his compassion to pour out his love and his mercy and his grace. And because he is faithful, he will never stop. He will never stop pouring out his love. He will never stop caring for his people. You can't stop him. I can't stop him. None of our enemies can stop him. No one can stop him because he is a faithful, compassionate God. So what I want to do this morning is, is read Isaiah 49, 13 through 16. And then I want us to make three observations together. There are three observations in, in this passage. The first is, and we're, I want to let you have these so you have kind of an outline even before we read the text. The first is, the compassion of God is worthy of praise. The compassion of God is worthy of praise, and we'll see that in verse 13. The second observation we'll make is, the compassion of God isn't always felt. And we'll see that in verse 14. The compassion of God isn't always felt. And then the third observation and final observation we'll make is that the compassion of God is rooted or grounded in his faithfulness to his people. The compassion of God is grounded or rooted in his faithfulness to his people. We'll see that in verses 15 through 16. And then I will have one exhortation at the end, just one. Just one exhortation at the end. So let's look at it. Isaiah 49, starting in verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. 
Your walls are continually before me. This is God's word. Three observations in this passage. The first, the compassion of God is worthy of praise. Or maybe we should say the God of compassion is worthy of praise. The God who is compassionate is worthy of praise. The only context you need to know, I don't want to get into it. That's the problem with Isaiah. When you get into Isaiah, there's so much context you have to set. But the only context you need to know is that the people are in exile. The people are in exile as a result of their sin and their rebellion against God. They were not faithful. They forgot. And so they were afflicted by their sin. They were afflicted by the the world that they're in, the sinful, broken world that they're in. And they were afflicted by the Lord himself as, as as an act of discipline toward them for their faithlessness. And yet, we see here in verse 13, this call to praise. But it's so magnificent, it's so glorious that it's not just the people who are called to praise. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. He's calling on all of creation, all of creation, to sing and praise and rejoice in the Lord. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. So an initial question, two parts. First, why why do we need comfort and compassion? Why do we need it? Another way to say that is what leads to affliction? Because the reason you need someone to be compassionate toward you is because you yourself are afflicted, okay? It's like every single year whenever Kentucky's basketball team travels down to Mississippi, it's kind of a waste of time, you know? I mean, it's like, do we really have to do this? Can we just write W on the line, you know? But, uh, you know, they come down here and they play and we went to Ole Miss and watched the game and we're just like, oh man, those poor rebels, you know, or sharks or whatever you guys are now. I don't, I don't really know. Scott, what are you guys? The, shark, the sharks, the, the fin, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, we come down and it's just, oh man, the poor rebels. You just, you look on them and they're just afflicted by the Kentucky Wildcats dominance in the basketball. I mean, I have to do this because like football season's coming and I have to keep my mouth shut then. Um, but yeah, because they're afflicted, you, you have compassion on them. But that's the reason we, when we are afflicted, when we are afflicted, we need compassion. We need comfort. What, what leads to affliction? Every time, three base, basic things in the life of everyone, not just God's people, but people who aren't his people, but the consequences of sin or the sin of others. The consequences of sin will lead to affliction every single time. Second, the context of living in a fallen world. You can get cancer. That's affliction. You didn't do anything to deserve cancer except you were born into a fallen world. And then, and then third, the discipline of the Lord. The Lord afflicts his people. And in, in Lamentations 3, man, I'm not going to read all of Lamentations 3 today. We're going to look at a part of it. I want to encourage you to go and read Lamentations 3. It's the most beautiful poem, one of the most beautiful poems in the Bible because of the contrast of the, the sin of the people and the affliction that is clearly coming from the Lord. There's a verse in there where it says that the Lord has a, a bow and an arrow and he has the people in his sight his own people in his sight. 
And then you have the glorious passage we all know from Lamentations 3 with the, the mercies that are new every morning and the, the greatness of the Lord's faithfulness. It's a, it's a beautiful poem. But affliction comes from the Lord himself. And yet, the reason that we should praise this great God of compassion is that the Lord who is even willing to discipline his own people with affliction is the very one who comes near to them and comforts them. He comes near with compassion. He looks on his people that have rebelled against him and he has compassion on them. He cares. So why is it worthy of our praise? Why should we be broken this morning? on our faces in adoration of the God who cares for us? Why don't we have the option to just write it off? Why should we join the heavens and the earth and the mountains in song about the Lord's great compassion? First, because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, okay? The reason we're in affliction is because of us, okay? God did not drop the ball. You know, in, in, in the old covenant, the Lord promised, I will be faithful to you, you be faithful to me. As long as that happens, we're good. Every single time there was a problem, it wasn't because God broke his end of the deal, he was faithful every single time. It was always when the people broke the covenant. God never broke the covenant. The people would break the covenant. The people would rebel. That hasn't stopped in the new covenant. We also rebel. We sin. We bring affliction on ourselves in so many ways. And when you sin and rebel against the holy God, we don't deserve his compassion. You know, I, I tell you all the time that uh, I have multiple friends who in Tupelo who are, who are exploring Christianity, and it's the strangest thing, but one of my closest friends who, who continues to ask questions, one of the biggest hurdles he has is the fact that a God who's so great actually cares about people like us. It doesn't make sense to him. He's like, I actually don't think it's true. Because if he's as great as you say he is, and it makes sense because he believes that God created the universe. He's like, it makes sense for him to be that awesome and that great and that majestic and glorious. Why would he care about us? So he just believes it's a fairy tale. You just wish that he cared about you. He doesn't care about us. Why would he? How could he? It might be good for us to get to that place. And then consider that, oh yes, this God who created the heavens and the earth and the mountains, this God who created each of you in his image, this God who is perfect and blameless and sinless, who is nothing but faithful, yes, he shows compassion and he gives comfort to we who have rebelled against him. Our sin does not stop him from being gracious and compassionate toward us. So 
You should praise this God of comfort and compassion this morning because you don't deserve to receive any of that from him. We only deserve his wrath. But second, why is God's compassion worthy of praise or why is the God of compassion worthy of praise? Because the simple fact that God is compassionate to his people, it's like climbing the ladder down, that God comforts his people. That simple statement alone tells us something. We should praise him because the God who is so far away, so far away, comes so close. He comes so close to us. When you have compassion for someone, you are much closer to them than someone who does not have compassion. When you consider the Good Samaritan, that story, and you have you have the one who is in the road, wounded, beat down. The one who has compassion is the one who what? Comes close, draws near. No matter the consequences. God is so far away from us. He is transcendent. He is other. He is not like us. There is creator and then there is creation. We're in this big lump, okay? And he is creator. He's by himself. There is no one like him. He's so much greater than us. And he stoops down. He stoops down and has compassion on you and me. He comforts you and me. If, if you are in a season of affliction right now, whatever it is, if you're suffering now for whatever reason, you know for a fact that there are people in your own family who don't care about you. They may say that they care about you, but when's the last time they actually reached out? When's the last time they checked on you? We fail all the time to check on people. So it's conceivable that the God of the universe might not have time for me when I'm afflicted. And yet he does. And he has time for you. He cares. He's deeply involved. He comes close. He draws near. The God who is transcendent is also the God who is imminent. There is no one like him. So what should we do in response to this? Many things, but first we should praise him. We should praise God who comes close in comfort and compassion. The God of compassion is worthy of praise. Second observation, the compassion of God isn't always felt. Compassion of God isn't always felt. Look in verse 14. So you have verse 13 where it's like, praise. Why? Because God has comforted his people. Because he will have compassion on his afflicted. Truth, reality, objectivity. This is who God is. This is what he has done and this is what he will do. And then in verse 14, what's the response of the people? Maybe, maybe it should be, yes, praise God. It's not. 
But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. It's almost as if the people respond with, oh yeah? Oh, he comforts? He has compassion? Where's he been? He's spo- oh, oh, he's close? I don't feel him close. He, he comforts? I don't feel comforted. He has compassion? I don't think he cares. I don't feel his compassion. I don't feel comfort from God. I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like he's left me all alone. Does he even know my name anymore? I feel forgotten by this God. Really important question here. What happens when the objective and even ontological attributes of God, these these realities that are true and unchanging, they're just a part of his inerrant character. This is who God is. And this is what he does. What happens when those truths contradict our subjective experiences? I know God is compassionate. I don't feel his compassion. I know God is close. I don't feel that he is near. The people of Israel are in exile. God will have compassion on his afflicted. God has comforted his people. Then what gives? The people think. They turn it on God and they're like, you must have forsaken us. You must have forgotten us. I'm not sure these things are true about you anymore. And they begin to doubt because their subjective experience now is controlling their theology. God had given the people of Israel up to their enemies. You know that, right? He, he allowed the people to be taken into exile. He gave them up. He afflicted them. But the people felt like, since their situation had changed, well, if he's given us up to our enemies, he must have given up on us entirely. He's given up on us. He's forgotten about us. He's forgotten about the covenant he made with our forefather Abraham. He has forsaken us. And we experience this, don't we? We know that God is compassionate. We know he cares. When we read the word, we can't help but know it. Sometimes we don't feel it. You know? Sometimes we don't feel like God's close. Sometimes we don't feel his comfort. Sometimes we don't feel his compassion. Sometimes we just feel forsaken, abandoned. Sometimes we feel alone. We know God is compassionate, but sometimes we feel like he's completely forgotten about us. Do you remember me? I'm still here. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world is trusting that God cares for you. 
Sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to remember. God still cares. You sin egregiously. God still cares. You're afflicted by the consequences of your sin or the sin of somebody else. God still cares. You're suffering, whether it's sickness or illness or the breaking of relationships, whatever it is, whatever your affliction is this morning, God still cares. You may be thinking back to me, I don't feel like it. And here's what I just want to briefly encourage you with. Don't run from that feeling. Don't run from that feeling. Be honest. Be, be, be self-reflective. Be honest with that feeling and run to God with it. Run to him with it. I know you're compassionate, but I don't feel you. I don't feel that you're close. And ask him to be near. And we'll get to the exhortation here in a minute. But second observation here, the compassion of God, even though it's worthy of praise, it isn't always felt. Third and final observation. The compassion of God is rooted or grounded in his faithfulness to his people. All right, we see this in verse 15 and verse 16. It's it's the response. It's the response to the claim, Lord, you have forsaken me. Lord, you have forgotten me. The people have turned it on the Lord. They're allowing their subjective experience to drive their theology of God. That God is one who breaks his promises. That God is one who forgets his people. It's not true, but they're allowing their subjective experience to drive their theology. And we can't do that. But here's the response in verse 15. Interesting analogy. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. All right, a couple things here. Just briefly, I want you to see. God's compassion is natural to his character. God's compassion is natural to his character. So in verse 15, the response to this claim that God has forsaken them, that he has forgotten them, that, yeah, you're saying you're compassionate, but you're not. Yeah, you're saying you're comforting us, but we don't feel it. The response is this rhetorical question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And you understand the point. It is abnormal. Even among non-believers, it is abnormal for mothers to abandon their children. It's abnormal. It's abnormal for a woman to abandon her son or her daughter. It is natural, it is natural for a mother to be nurturing 
It is natural for a woman to feel this inerrant care and compassion for her child, even in a way that a father doesn't. Not that a father should not be compassionate, but it's just different. That's why the analogy here is not parents in general. Can a woman forget her nursing child? No. No. The answer is that she should not have compassion on him. It's no. It's impossible. It is natural for a mother to have compassion and care to nurture and love her child, to be close, to be intimate with her child. And the point here is that compassion is natural to God. It's who he is. It's not something he has to muster up. He is naturally compassionate toward his people, which, I don't know if you caught it, if you are in Christ, you are children of the Most High God. You are his children. So can a mother abandon or forget her child? No. No. It is natural. It is unnatural for a woman to do that. It is natural to God to be compassionate. Even when, in the case of the people of Israel here, even when God disciplines his children, he does not abandon his his compassion for them to do it. He doesn't abandon his people even when he's disciplining them here as we see in this passage. So the compassion of God is natural to his character but secondly, the compassion of God is never ending. This is how it's rooted in his faithfulness. It's never ending. So he asks the question, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And we can answer that rhetorical question with no, not usually. But then he even goes there for us and he's like, even these may forget. And we've seen that. And even if you're the best mom in the world, you fail to care for your child even as you wish you would. He's like, even these may forget. So even a mother who is hardwired to be compassionate and caring toward her child may forget. And look, look at that next phrase. Yet I will not forget you. Period. No conditions. God is telling you this morning, no matter what, No matter what happens, if you are mine, you will never stop being mine, and I will never, ever forget you. God will never forget you. No matter what, his compassion for you, his care for you, his comfort for you is never ending. It won't stop. It won't stop. Turn to Lamentations 3. Let's look at it real quick. Just a couple books over. 
God's care and compassion for you never ends. It never ends. He won't stop. Lamentations 3, verse 19. Jeremiah writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He is overcome by his affliction. And what what you read earlier in the passage is it's even at times at the hands of the Lord himself. My soul continually remembers it. All he can remember, and he can't let go of it. It's like a bad dream that continues to return. It's his affliction, his pain. And then in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I have hope. Do you want hope this morning? If you're, if you're in the season of affliction, confusion, frustration, this man in Lamentations 3 is consumed by his affliction and yet he calls something to mind that gives him hope. He calls something to mind that gives him hope. Verse 22. This is what it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. If you have a footnote there, you look down at the bottom. Another beautiful way it could be translated or more literally. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord we are not cut off. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not just that he says, you know, I, I'm brought to a place of hope when I think about how much God loves me. God is love. God loves me. He's like, no, here's the only way that I can find any hope in this season of perpetual sorrow over my affliction, that the steadfast love of the Lord, what? Never ceases. Never ceases. That's the hope. Not that God loves you today, but that God loves you today and he will love you tomorrow and he will love you 10 billion years from now if you are in Christ. And he won't stop. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are endless. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God's compassion, his mercy, his care, his comfort, it never comes to an end. You will not wake up one morning and will have taken a step too far in the wrong direction for God to comfort you and care for you and be compassionate toward you and show mercy to you. 
So what does this free us to do? It frees us to live a life as Jesus calls us to live in daily repentance before God. You wake up to meet new mercies. So when you call on the Lord to forgive you, you will always be met with forgiveness, which should be modeled in our midst as well. All right, so those are my three observations. Now, just one closing exhortation taken from Lamentations 3, verses 21 and 24. What should you do when you feel forgotten or forsaken by God? It's counterintuitive. Hope in him. Hope in him. Hope in God. Not other people. Not circumstances or ideal situations or plans. If only things would change. If only things would, would go according to plan. No, don't put your hope in that. Only then will I be free from the affliction of my heart. No. Hope in God. Because he will never forget you. He will never forsake you. He will be an endless source of comfort for you. How is he able to offer this to us? And how are we able to hope in this God of compassion? Because God's faithfulness and his compassion are grounded in the work of Jesus on our behalf. We've already, we've already observed we cannot earn his compassion. We cannot earn his mercy. There's nothing you can do. You cannot avoid sin. It's all around you and it's inside you. You cannot escape it. We cannot earn this faithful, steadfast, never-ceasing love of the Lord. We don't deserve it. Here's the good news. You feel forsaken this morning? You feel forgotten? Look to the cross. Look to the cross because on the cross, Jesus was forsaken. He was forsaken by God. He was cast off. He was cut off. Jesus was forsaken by God so that by faith in him, by faith in this Jesus, this crucified Savior, we will never, ever, ever be forsaken or forgotten by God. Jesus took all of our sin on himself. He bore it all fully on himself and suffered the consequences for it he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cast out into utter darkness. He was forsaken by his father so that he could bring us in as his children. The cross of Jesus is the center of God's compassion for sinners like us. It's the center of his faithfulness sinners like us so 
If you're here this morning and you wonder if God cares, you wonder if he cares, you're, you're getting, maybe, you're getting, maybe you're getting lost and you need to look to him and you feel that God does not care about your affliction, look to the cross. If you feel that God has given up on you, forsaken you, forgotten you, look to the cross. I cannot give you any greater assurance than this, that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth lived a sinless life, was arrested for crimes he did not commit, was sentenced to death unjustly, died on a cross, was actually crucified, actually died. His body was taken down from the cross, put in a tomb, and there his body was for three days. And then he took it back. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the two greatest assurances that God cares for you and he is faithful to keep his promises to you. He will never, ever forget you or forsake you. So, if you're tempted to put your hope in anything or anyone else this morning, please, please lay that down at the foot of the cross and hope only in the God of comfort and compassion. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you. We are tempted to lean on and depend on one another in unhealthy ways. We are tempted to depend on circumstances or ideal situations or plans because they make sense to us. And Father, I know sometimes it is utterly terrifying to trust you because we so desperately want to know the end of the story we want to know how things are going to play out we want to have answers but trusting you does not require us to have answers so I pray that you would help us do what is sometimes hard to do hence the trust that you actually deeply intimately care for us And I pray that even though it's easy for us to not feel that you are close, but instead feel that you have forsaken us, even though it's easy to, to feel like you've forgotten us, I pray that we would be reminded afresh this morning that you are like a compassionate mother to her children. Even more than that, you care for us in ways that we fail to care for our own children. But you are our father. We are your children. So you will care for us. You will comfort us. 
you will be compassionate toward us. Father, I ask that we would feel it. I pray that our experiences would match our theology of you. But when they don't, help us to hope in you. Thank you for sending your son to suffer the greatest affliction, the affliction that we deserve, which is separation from you because of our sin. We praise his name this morning. With, with the heavens and with the earth and with the mountains, we praise you for your great compassion because you are so far away from us, so much greater, and yet you come so near in the person and work of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Help us. Help us now to comfort one another as we have been comforted by you. Help us now to look on one another with compassion. Help us now to meet one another the way you meet us, with mercy. And I pray all of that would be done for your sake in this, in this faith family and in this city. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.